0: Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech.
1: Hey, hello. What's happening, Derek? I learned something this week. uh Oh, it was. It, I should have known. Uh-oh. but I just came across it accidentally. So I was reading something about uh, Glacier National Park in the U.S. Yep. And it's a beautiful park. It's an amazing park. Northern Montana. Anyways, uh, while I was reading something about. Of course, there was a story on it because there was an alternate story. It was, it's a nice park, beautiful park, but also it, uh, it it came to my attention that this week is National Park Week. Dun, dun, in the States, uh, so in it's States. Canada, National Park Week in Canada is June 20th through 27th or something. Something like that, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, it's mid-June, mid-late June for Canada. But in the U.S. this week, as we record, uh, so the 22nd through 30th of April is National Park Week in the U.S. So anyways, I uh, I went out and, and uh, found a magazine on national parks and... Uh, <laughs> There's, uh, it, it, you scroll through some of these images and pictures, Yosemite and and Glacier National. Pride. I like how you're scrolling through that magazine. I am scrolling through the magazine right now. Yeah, scroll uh, here, up. See, scroll left. Watch, watch me zoom in the picture. Here. <laughs> oh, you look at that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Just pinch it, and you'll get you'll get farther I'm out. I caught myself doing that with a newspaper <laughs> once. So you, you get so used to phones, and I'm they're reading the newspaper, and I didn't actually expand my fingers on the paper, but my hand went for it, and it's like. Derek, what are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> People are looking and giggling. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they would have seen it if I did it, but uh, I didn't do it, but I, I caught myself. But anyways, National Park Weekend, uh, there's a lot of beautiful parks out there. Oh, big time. Big time. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, and a lot of them are going to have a lot of water this year. They are? We're going to talk lot about some of water. Of that. Uh speaking
0: of water. Speaking of parks, mm-hmm. were how Ontario said they were going to be putting in a new... Provincial Park. The first one in like four new years. National Park.
1: Nope. Oh, that was, yeah. that's, that yeah. Rouge River, that's the National Park that was five years ago.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to do a new Provincial Park in Ontario. They just had not know where. Apparently, it's going to be in Uxbridge.
1: I, I thought I heard something about that. Yeah, and that rings a bell Yeah, the last couple days yeah. they've been talking about yeah. that. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, Uxbridge Provincial Park. They just huh. have to but figure out which... It's very... Chunk oh, of land. It's going to be an urban park. It's going to be an urban park. And they're saying up to 250 campsites. Are they? Yeah. Huh. But there's... I, I don't know. Well, I there is a demand them. for it, right? But I can't... See, yeah, it's going to be around mountain biking and hiking and all okay. that sort of stuff. Because yeah. I don't think there's any big bodies of water that you could uh-huh. use as a lake or anything.
1: Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. In Oxbridge. Yeah,
0: so they're, they're working with the indigenous peoples of the area and... And uh, the Oak Ridge Moraine and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they'll come up with an exact location. But uh, Oxbridge... And that's only 45 minutes from my house. How do you spell Oxbridge? U X B. Oh, there's an X. <laughs> U-G-G-S. Uggsbridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's only like 45 minutes uh, just north of my house here. Straight up Lake Ridge.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a couple of parks within it. A lot of golf courses. Yep. Oh, maybe I'll just take over a golf course. Maybe. And
0: then everybody can camp around like the water hazard on hole 17. hmm Right. Get our boats in there. Do a little fishing. Huh. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. There's not a lot of water. No. That's what I'm saying. There is a natural spring that everybody goes to up there. Oh yeah? Yep. Yeah, on the way up they bring all their jugs and like on a Saturday people lie not oh on the side of the fill, road yeah to fill up there's the there's
1: one drugs. in Durham Region too, just up uh, off of Taunton Road it just flows out of the out of the side of the road there and through a pipe and I see I've seen people stop and get water from it before. yeah I know this one's
0: I think it's is it on, I think it's on Lake Ridge. And, and uh, there's a big <clears throat> parking lot thing they've built into it. And there's just, yeah, this pipe that they've yeah. comes out of the side of the hill and people line up to the pipe and fill up their water jugs yeah. and everything. And then
1: what's, load them in the car and go. brewery south of Blue Mountains? Anyways, there's a brewery up there just uh, that away. And uh, they have a big spring like that. It just constantly pours this fresh water and they make beer with it. Yeah. If it's mm-hmm. a good uh, supply of
0: clean water, then go yeah. for it. Huh. Uh, we got a few things to talk about this week. I I didn't do much at all this week because I had uh, four days of migraine.
1: Oh, yeah, awesome. I've just, never
0: just awesome. Had a migraine. Oh, it just shuts you right down. Yeah, I, you spend so much time in a dark room and sleeping and not wanting to do anything <laughs> and trying to eat and keep it down and. I've been getting migraines since I was a little kid, but, uh,
1: I used to get, yeah. I, I, I've told a lot of people this story, but, uh, when I was in college in the early nineties, I was playing hockey and I was out practicing without a helmet on, smart me. I smashed my head off the ice and, uh, had a bad concussion. I have not had a headache since then. No, I you was, just keep getting more concussions. <laughs> yeah. I hit my head a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've been told I, swear I should, you wear you should a be wearing a helmet nonstop. Just yeah, nonstop. I haven't had a like,
1: headache since 1994.
0: I should take your headphones <laughs> and see if somebody can build them into a helmet
1: so that I'm not held there liable yes, for yes, something yes. you
0: do here. What happened to Derek? Well, he slipped and cracked his head on the floor here and
1: bounced his head off of one of the Marshall stacks over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've had lots of concussions, I just don't remember how many.
0: <laughs> that probably <is> a clue <laughs> uh no yeah i did, i was hoping to get out on the weekend and do some paddling and i was just yeah didn't get anything done mm-hmm. nothing done so
1: that's that's uh that's sucky
0: it is but at least it's not in the middle of summer because it was I raining guess, yeah. too right
1: so is it is it weather dependent nope yet so if there's a low weather sunny system, day it, oh, yeah. rainy day huh.
0: low Low pressure, high pressure, no pressure.
1: It's got to be a food thing, then.
0: Hmm. I can eat everything under the sun. Does make a difference? One thing:
1: there's a three day delay. You eat it. It's like eating corn or something like that. Some oh no, corn's instantaneous. <laughs> Trust me. Ask <laughs> me how I know. I don't think I'm allergic <sighs> to anything. Oh, poison ivy! I'm allergic to poison ivy.
0: When was the last time you ate some? <laughs> maybe you're just allergic on the outside i
1: i haven't i've been in contact with it oh sandbanks but mm-hmm. eight years ago i walked into some of sandbanks about eight years ago
0: i'm allergic to beer and that's why
1: i drink it so it gets
0: out of my system <laughs> like out of the house because i don't want it laying around in case yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it comes in contact <laughs> dangerous it's dangerous let's drink that and get it <laughs> rid of consume it. it quickly yes <laughs>
1: uh
0: yeah but uh no it didn't get much of what I wanted to do. But like I say, it was raining anyway, so mm-hmm. whatever. Um when we go to Opiongo in Algonquin Park, have you ever used their boat service? Where you throw the canoes up on yeah, top yeah, of the yeah. boat and they no, s- I never
1: have. You save four hours of paddling. I've wanted to.
0: You've never actually used the of I've the only boats?
1: ever paddled on sort once, and that was on a Minas Link trip, oh, trip. so. And so... We didn't use the boat service. Yeah, we're not allowed to at that But time. I've been to Opiango a few times, but I've only ever stood on the docks. Really? And then we did the meanest length, and so I paddled down well, I've it. Paddled, I've paddled it up. My very first canoe trip, Yeah. my very first
0: solo canoe trip, was up to the Happy Isle Portage. Oh, okay. I paddled yeah. solo.
1: I, oh, I think it was with Mark Rubino years ago. We crossed through, we did the, the big... uh Bon- Dixon-Boschfield-Portage, but then we, we didn't, we came in, where did we go? We uh, were in and out of Opiongo in the north arm somewheres. Come down Cru- uh, Crow, yeah, to Pruel, like, and like then that. over
0: into Red Lake, Red something Red like Sand that. or something like that. Something, something like that. that
1: way, yeah. But I never did Opiongo Lake proper.
0: No, yeah, the, there's a, a couple, there's basically you end up at one, because to me, Opiongo looks like Mickey Mouse's head. Yep. So in the upper right ear, Yeah. Um, you can basically, you come in the uh, right side of his ear and you exit the left side of that ear. <laughs> yes, <Right>?
1: sure. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: trust me, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I see it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Well, we've taken the boats up a couple of times. Uh, like I say, it saves you four hours, right? So if you're going way back country, mm-hmm. then there's four hours on your day by jumping on the very first shuttle and... They zip you right to the end to the portage. You jump off. You mm-hmm. do the portage, and we've actually used the shuttle on an a, uh, emergency takeout. Oh, okay. Because we, there, there's that massive, um, uh, not the not a hurricane, the tropical storm. Okay. That hit and everything, and the winds were so bad, we weren't getting off Opiongo. Oh, wow. And we waved them down, and even he, would, they got those two massive engines yeah. on the back, mm-hmm. and even they were having problems. Huh. But, uh, yeah, so other than that. Um, <laughs> we need help. We need help. Well, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, we had a couple little kids yeah. with us, so I wasn't taking the chance on that
1: one. Mm-hmm.
0: So, apparently, Boundary Waters has, they call them tow boats. Okay. So, they and tow you? No, no, they just call them tow boats. Oh, okay. They're, they're the same thing. They're a shuttle. Mm-hmm. So they strap them on the top. Your canoes okay. on the just top. Just like Opium does. Throw all your yeah. gear into the boat and big aluminum thing and off you, off you go. So a judge is to decide the fate of motorized tow boats in the boundary waters for 2023 after an environmental group has sought to stop the long standing practice, which is strongly supported by the U.S. Forest Service. Huh. Towboat operator ties a canoe to an overhead rack ahead of taking the camping party into the Boundary Waters. Environmental Group has gone to federal court to block the use of motorized towboats in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness as soon as the ice goes out on the 17 lakes where this service has been allowed for decades. Now, Algonquin Park only has, I think... Certain lakes. Canoe Lake, Opiango Lake. This canoe, no, canoe doesn't have... Canoe mm, yeah. Lake has them to get to the kids' camps, Yeah, but, but not s- for
1: people. Mm, pretty sure people use them. I've seen people towing barges of wood and stuff up. I get passed by a barge there one time. Yeah,
0: but I think those are personal. Yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah personal boats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no. These are tow motor operators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are like no, shuttle owners. Yeah, lines. there isn't a service on... Canoe. I'm the just only... saying there's certain lakes that are motorboat permissible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Radiant, you can have motors on it, and uh, Canoe Lake, Cedar, Opiongo, Cedars, Ciosk. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the only one that has the, the shuttles or the towboats um, is Opiongo. Yes. But right. I think I've got two so or four. So you're
1: saying that these environmental groups are stopping the towboats, but they're still allowing... Private that they don't say they're just going after the towboats. Okay, because they say
0: there's too many of them, right? Well, there's 17 lakes that have them, mm-hmm. as opposed to Algonquin that has the one
1: towboat. If it's established, there's for precedent. decades. Yeah,
0: right. Request for a preliminary injunction by Wilderness Watch is in the hands of a federal judge in Minneapolis, and it strongly opposes by the uh, opposed by the U.S. Forest Service.
1: What's so, opposed? The Wait. injunction the injunction opposed Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the US Forest Service agrees with the towboat. Yeah. Companies. Well, they're the ones that
0: say you can do it. Yeah. Superior National Forest officials say the towboat system assists people who have mobility shortcomings and helps disperse visitors deep into the million-acre wilderness away from overcrowded yeah, edges. Absolutely. Which is exactly what I was saying why we did it, right? Gets yeah. us so faster. A ruling in favor of Wilderness Watch would undo the plans of thousands of Minnesotans who have already booked towboat-assisted trips within Boundary Waters. Um, Wilderness Watch and its members presume the only way to experience Boundary Waters is the way that they want to experience, uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney David Fuller wrote in a recent court filing. So basically, we want it all quiet, so... Yeah. Huh. Request by Wilderness Watch to immediately have halt towboat service grew out of its broader lawsuit alleging that the Forest Service not only sidesteps statutory limits on all motorboat use but it has allowed commercial operators to expand activity that disrupts the solitude of the boundary waters now I, I don't have a problem with this if it's like we call it Highway 60 in, in yep. Algonquin yeah. if it's a Highway 60 corridor or something like that you in, expect in, it. in interior though yeah. like beyond that no uh, Forest Service has countered that it has continually refined and improved its system of permitted towboat management so as not to degrade the wilderness. It says the number of towboats permitted for use on wilderness lakes has dropped substantially from 91 in 1992 to 63 in 2019, operated by 18 approved operators.
1: So the number's going down. There's not they as are many going boats. down. However, modern boats are very clean,
0: these four stroke engines and stuff. Mm -hmm. Small horsepower boats carry canoeists on prescribed routes to circumvent paddling over long distances. Canoes are hauled on the boat's overhead racks, then dropped on the edges of paddle only lakes, which is exactly what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, Kevin. Proshkold, the Minnesota-based conservation director for Wilderness Watch, has said towboat traffic in Boundary Waters seems to have tripled since the early 90s. His organization first sued the Forest Service over the issue in 2015, but it contends the Forest Service never followed through on
1: settlement terms. They've just allowed it to grow, he says. But statistically, it's not grown. It's gone from 91 boats to 63 boats. Aha, but but they're doing more trips mm-hmm. okay. more people
0: right yeah ask what would happen to the canoeing plans this year a boundary water enthusiast who have already booked towboat assisted trips through the outfitters pro said they could avoid cancelling by planning more time for paddling hmm. really so you got to totally redo your trip because yeah. if like i say if that saves you a day by taking the boat in yeah. Well, now you've got to use it one of your days to get in there, which means you may not be able to get as far, and yeah, the trip your as week-long
1: trip is now two or three days. Right? Or
0: add extra vacation days, yeah. which you may not have. So, yeah, whatever. Despite the length of litigation in the case, no clear picture has emerged over the extent of motorboat uh, motorized towage towboat usage, which or which way it is trending. The Forest Service admitted that its assessment of towboat service before 2015 weren't consistent. Forest Service said earlier this year that its next report on commercial services in the Boundary Waters would be issued sometime in April, or at the end of April here, so it's got to be coming out. Now, according to research by Wilderness Watch, Forest Service monitoring reports show 2,550 commercial towboat trips in 2012, 2,550, Increasing to 3,865
1: in 2020. Increased demand. Mm-hmm. Fewer boats,
0: but more trips. Right. So it's like 1,300 pretty much uh, extra trips. Mm-hmm. That's a lot.
1: <clears throat> it is. It mm-hmm. is. So I can. Well, I'll get comments at the end. Uh,
0: according to the recent court filing, for court. Forest Services, there were 3,815 towboat trips in 2020, down from 4,817 in 2019. So that's a thousand fewer in
1: and 2020. Do you expect to be more because of COVID? Like f- more fewer. Mm-hmm. Like fewer, fewer. Yeah. Whatever. I, I know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I know what. <laughs>
0: Forest Service said in its court filing that Wilderness Watch cannot claim urgency in needing to stop all towboat usage. There are areas of the boundary water that truly classify as pristine wilderness. The agency said in its court filing, but even if towboats were removed from their existing routes, those areas would be far from pristine.
1: I can see uh, where they're getting at. And myself, I, when I'm in, for example, Gonquin Park, I tend to go a couple portages in and get deep into the park. I mm-hmm. avoid, I, I, I like, for example, Cooney Lake. I, I I get through that first day just to get away from the boats because I don't like the boats myself. But I accept that people, some people are going to want to use the boats and there's certain yeah. lakes that are permitted. And so the Opiongo Outfitters has a service that shuttles you. And so like Radiant Lake, I was, I was for a far north lake. I was surprised that it permitted Outboard motors on it, but still, I I, I so I, I can see both sides, and I get around it by avoiding lakes that have that are outboard motor permitted lakes. But they want to shut everything down. Mm-hmm. And but so, you got
0: to remember, this is on seventeen different. So this is like thirty eight hundred. Trips divided by seventeen lakes, mm-hmm. this isn't like thirty eight hundred trips on one yeah, lake, yeah yeah,
1: yeah, it's not like opiongo is like a super highway of yeah. boats, yeah, so
0: yeah i i I can see how they need to cut it down, yeah, but I don't think I think for the people that need yeah. the use of it,
1: now think about the people who do use that service who like sure I'm sure there's some people that are just looking to get into the park so they can. Camp out on a campsite and and turn off for a week, but for there may be some people that use those services because they can't paddle those d- that deep in the park. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a sixty seventy year old couple who want to get in and and enjoy camping and they can't paddle in because it would you know kill them. So I don't know. I, I can I can see both sides, but I also kind of agree that hey, th- this service has been around for decades. Yeah. You can't just kill it like, all. What's it the go. rationale to get rid of it? So sure people don't like it. People don't like a lot of things. There's got to be a middle ground somewhere. Mhm. Right? Hmm.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm curious how this is going to go. So they want to do this before the season opens, so yeah. I assume It's coming up quick. It's Yeah. Well, ice is starting to break up in a lot of parks there and lakes in the area. Uh, did
0: I see mm-hmm. that Algonquin is now considered ice-free?
1: Yeah, Lake of Trivers was over a week ago that they cleared up, but uh, I don't know if the whole park is ice-free.
0: I thought I saw either today or yesterday. I, Algonquin, normally look at, now ice-free. I
1: normally look at satellite photos and pay attention to it, but I haven't looked at it in a while. Hmm. The whole park, hey? Eh? Yeah. Because it's been cold. Well, a couple of weeks ago it got really warm. Yeah. But then it's been cold. Well, and north week.
0: of Algonquin just got snow.
1: Yes, they did. So, yeah.
0: But if everything was melted already, there was no ice, then the snow was just going to fall into the water. Yeah, into the water. Yeah.
1: Huh. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder, like overall, as as humanity, where we're going with our future, right? Because we do really have to consider global warming and climate change and all that stuff and it'd be nice to be able to use less fuels less fossil fuels and but
0: well and they didn't say when the judge was coming back with his file yeah they did so.
1: say they hope they didn't they don't have an exact date yeah so huh anyway we'll find out well we'll follow this closely mhm or as close as lazy people do follow stuff <laughs> <laughs>
0: Google set, set an alarm for... <laughs> yes,
1: there you go. Set an alert. Don't you do that all the time? <laughs> I set do. I have I have Google alerts set. I have a oh. constant search for my own name. <laughs> so I get alerted. And the only time my name does come up, there's a there's a pastor or something down in Pennsylvania that has my name. So he comes up all the time. He's always in the news. Really? But
0: I'm just going to make some website out there with Derek's special <laughs> porn hub. <laughs> oh. So it's always coming up on your Google search. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <Anyway. laughs> uh, speaking of backcountry tripping uh-huh. Kevin Callen has his latest article of Explore Magazine out uh, I did post a link to it on our Facebook page so if you check out our Facebook page you'll see Kevin Callen's latest article
1: and it deals with bear proof containers
0: Bear's now, mouths
1: are pretty strong I've, There's uh what was it? Was it at Canoe Lake? So at the Outfitter on Canoe Lake and where you buy your pass your tickets. Yep. There is a display there's a canoe, there's a tent. You just go in to buy your tickets in the corner there's all this huge uh it's like this fake campsite. And uh and the guys say that the, uh, the, so the blue bear barrel that's on the display, they say this barrel actually got chewed open. There's a big hole in the side. You can see the teeth yep. marks. They said a bear actually broke that open on a campsite in Algonquin yep. Park. Oh so, yeah. Wow.
0: So farther north, I tend to take my barrel back into the bush and strap it to a tree. Yeah. Just watching it- out what kind of tree I strap it to because, you know, there's times where you pull it off the next day and it's you realize you've put it in sap. So <laughs> yes. you got s- yep. sap on the on the yep. harness same. And all over your clothes and hands afterwards. Uh since you can't you can't always find a sturdy enough tree to yeah. to hang from.
1: But I do the same. I tie it to a tree yep. sturdily. I make sure it's locked shut and I put a bear bell on it. Yep. yep. So that I can hear it ringing at night if something's tampering with it.
0: Right. My general practice has always been a
1: two rope hanging
0: system. Yes. If it's not too heavy, yeah, I do the right. same thing with like a pulley. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, the hang don't hang argument, regardless where you canoe trip, but I just chalk it up to people's personal comfort.
1: Yeah. It depends you know. on if you're in a high bear zone or a low bear zone, everywhere you can have bears, but some areas like there's they'll say yeah on as you buy your tickets they say the area you're going there's no known bear on this lake okay Mm -hmm. well i guess i'm hanging that one in the air there's a known bear what's his name (laughs) should i invite him for dinner (laughs) is it kevin i heard about kevin
0: (laughs) kevin the bear It uh, also comes down to how much food you have to hang too. Like I say, longer trips means more food, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not finding a tree to try first, to hang an entire I can barrel. Of, I get
1: 75 pounds of food. Yeah, all six of yous on a trip, you got to haul that rope. Yeah, <laughs> to get that barrel up.
0: Two other options in this article that I'm not going to go fully in depth. in This article, you, you can go read it. Uh, but Kevin talks about the ursac bear Sack, and I know a couple of people that have those. I've heard about that. And bear canisters. And I've seen clear ones. Yeah. Um, you know, and that way you can see what's inside. I think Camper Christina has one. She sticks she's stickers on got, it.
1: I think she's got an ursac as well as the clear container. Yeah.
0: And uh, Kevin's got one called the bear keg from Counter Assault. And he's going to be using it on an upcoming trip. Seven point one cubic inches of storage and three point eight pounds.
1: I was looking at that. and I'm like, eh. I. So the the container itself empty weighs three point eight pounds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But you throw all your food in there, mm-hmm. and it's designed that a bear
0: can't get into it, right? Yeah. Well, eventually a bear can get into Give your it. Give it enough time. If it wants to, yeah. Exactly. Right. I've been considering one of these bear canisters, but I think I might maybe look at the Ursack because we've sort of gotten into, we have a, a smaller barrel. Yeah. We'll take as a kitchen barrel. Okay. So in, I could just take the ursac with stuff and put it inside that. hmm And that way you can carry it sort of deal, right? With all the rest of the kitchen supplies. Yeah. As opposed to just putting the food in that barrel with the kitchen supplies. Yeah. At least that way we get along farther trip if I want to hang it
1: it's once it's, it's lighter yeah it's hangable yeah.
0: right um yeah so i I've just been looking at that and I'm thinking yeah the 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 kegs that they have the, be- the bear the bare kegs that are mm-hmm. supposed to be bear proof and yep. everything hmm You'd have to. I think I'd have to still tie that to a tree because <laughs> the bear's going to get mad and swat it through yeah. the bush. And you're, <laughs> yeah, you're no, going to lose it anyway. I have seen people say, "Yeah, I put like reflective tape so you can see it in the dark." And, <laughs> because and, the and bear's going to drag it off. He's going to the woods. drag it off somewhere. Yeah. You got to find it, right? Put a harness on your on your uh, bear barrel. But uh Um yeah, go read his article there because I mean. I I think it all just comes down to personal preference. Do you want to hang? Do you want to just strap it to the tree in a barrel? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to get an ursac or a bear canister? Mm -hmm. Or you can do the fifth type. A landmine? You could do the sixth type.
1: (laughs) 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 And tiger pit. The seventh type. (laughs) Throw it in your canoe and I, I, launch your canoe I've off. Thought about that over the years. Like from the first time I've done it, I've, I've I've heard people talk about it. And there's a system of an anchor point and a, and a tight rope and a loose rope, and it goes out into the lake. You just pull the canoe in. I don't know. Like I've heard also people say, well, you know, bears can swim. It's like, I don't know. So, what? They're going to steal my canoe with the food? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, is see, that the what thing you're telling is, me? <laughs> if you put your food in your canoe, you have risk of the bear doing damage to your canoe instead of your food barrel. And so instead of losing just your food to the bear, you lose your transportation as well. That would suck. Wouldn't it? hmm. I'm hiking or swimming out. Mm <laughs> hmm. Either way, you're going to be hungry.
0: Yes, either way. Or maybe it just startles the bear and he runs. Maybe. And you can at least eat. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, interesting. Uh, Go check out uh, Kevin's article there. Like I said, I I did a post on our Facebook page to uh, direct link to the article. My daughter went to check out the Royal Ontario Museum on the weekend with one of her friends. And they've got that dinosaur thing, the T-Rex exhibit. The T-Rex, I think she said it was a week old is like the size of a uh, Canada goose. And a okay, baby rex t- is that sorry, small? It, it looks like a Canada goose. Looks like a Canada goose. It looks has the same markings and everything as yeah. a Canada goose. Huh. It's got the fur and stuff <clears> like that. And but how big would it be?
1: Fairly probably about the size of a
0: dog at least. She did, that that she didn't say. She mm-hmm. just said look she sent a picture it looked like one.
1: Like a baby T-Rex, is it like the size of a horse? Because a T-Rex oh, is a big. Oh, I don't think it's big. Quite that big.
0: Yeah. Well, they come from an egg,
1: right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> my, my, son ah, you, know. You <laughs> my son would know.
0: You'll learn more from dinosaurs. My son would know. Anyway, June. So they have this <laughs> exhibition coming up. Right, that's, that's coming up. Um because she went to that one, and she says, "While I was there, I got this the book." Because she's a member of the of the Royal Ontario Museum. There, coming up uh, June second, twenty twenty three, to February nineteenth, twenty twenty four. Reduce, reuse, recycle fashion style. It is a um, exhibition by Noel, or I guess it be Noel Hamlin, called Lifers. Explore the impact of textiles and fashion on the planet's water quality and what we can do about it. It is a powerful new ROM based, uh, ROM organized art installation by Canadian visual artist Noelle Hamlin. Over 20 repurposed and retailored life jackets, handcrafted by the artist from reclaimed and discarded garments. Present a striking visual metaphor to draw attention to the current environmental crisis in the textiles and fashion industries. Each life jacket or lifer tells a unique story, encouraging us to take a closer look at our own fashion consumption behaviors and how they have the power to affect the health of water resources worldwide. Stunning large for, uh, format photography by Canadian photographer Jeff Coombs accompanies uh, the installation, creating an immersive experience that pulls us into the narrative as we consider our legacy of clothing consumption and our ongoing relationship with the fashion industry. Noelle Hamlin Lifers opens a complex and important conversation about climate change and how fast fashion and rampant overconsumption are accelerating the crisis of each new season.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So she's taken these life jackets. Yeah. And she's taken clothing that, and she says a lot of it. There's, there's a, there's, if you go to the Royal Ontario Museum site under events, it, it has it, and there's more write ups, a longer write up and goes more into detail. But basically, she's taking clothes that she no longer wears and she's basically sewn them onto these life jackets. Oh. So. And the, and the, this Jeff Coombs is doing photos, so there's like four or five life jackets in the water, and he's taking a photo of them. And the one life jacket she's sewn, so it's like a suit. Yeah. Like a suit jacket is on this life So if you were to put this life jacket on, it would look like you're wearing a suit jacket, <laughs> right? And there's a fur something or other there. Yeah. There's a sweater on it. So, you know, it, it would look like Mr. Rogers is putting yeah. on a life jacket, not his little cardigan sort of thing. So really the, from the pictures I've seen of it, really well done looking things. I'd like to see these things in person. So, so
1: this thing is teaching us about the textile industry and fashion, uh, and its effect on plants and on around. the water because
0: the fashion industry uses so much water, right? Yeah, and pumps out so much chemicals and dies, and microplastics, and and, microplastics, and, yeah. and everything back into the water. Interesting. So it's this big, uh, big. Cycle that goes on. Take mm-hmm. the water in, do everything with it, and then pump it back out, right?
1: How does it tie back to dinosaurs again?
0: Because uh, Ariana came across this while she was at the, oh. to, or at, at the the ROM looking at the dinosaurs. Okay.
1: I see the connection now.
0: All right. Mm-hmm. No, because um, Noelle Hamlin, mm-hmm. she actually put these life jackets on dinosaurs. <laughs> so you got all these dinosaurs running around now yeah, yeah, yeah. with life jackets. And anyway. at least they're being safe. <laughs> So so yeah, it it sounds like an interesting uh thing to see. I am yeah, we'll probably I'll probably go down with Ariana and check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it starts in uh two months.
1: Cool. June second, twenty
0: twenty three. Yeah. So like I say, go to the Royal Ontario Museum website and Thanks. under events just click uh lifers. And uh, you'll be able to get more of a write-up and see a few pictures. Make sure you cool. see the dinosaur exhibit, too.
1: Yeah, and go to the dinosaur exhibit, too. So I did look this up. So baby T-Rex dinosaurs were fuzzy in the size of, size of small turkeys. Apparently they look like geese. And uh, most dinosaurs are reptiles. So, yes, they lay eggs. See?
0: I knew that. I told you that.
1: I know that now. I think I said that. The I think I said that. Dinocephalosaurus actually gave birth to live offspring. So, one of the first mammal ish animals. Apparently, somebody,
0: whether it's truth or not, said that scientists are trying to clone a woolly mammoth. <gasps> I saw that. Okay, so it wasn't just me. True story. It is a true story. Yes. Oh, I'd love to see a woolly mammoth. I don't want to see so, all these big so killer, so now, killer okay. dinosaurs. So,
1: yes, they're looking at that and they're going to try and splice. So the, there's a two pronged approach. Now, now one is kind of like uh, we've seen this in the movies. Don't do that. And the other is so they they do want to try and mix it with like uh, some and some elephant to see if they can create a new woolly mammoth. Woolly mammoths only went away like ten, twelve thousand years ago. They were around when the Egyptians were around. The the pyramids were being built. According to the movies, yeah, they helped move the blocks no but in real according <laughs> yes, to science yes I know yeah, I yeah. know yes I agree yes but what uh, where was I going you distracted me the two pronged approach they're trying to mix it oh, with elephants second pronged approach so the other prong, prong of that approach of uh, so they took DNA and uh, samples of these these woolly mammoths are showing up in uh, as the glaciers roll back mm-hmm. as, uh, as the permafrost melts so in Russia and Canada and Alaska found a few there's they're coming up with these very well preserved uh, woolly mammoths. So I think I think they're in Saskatchewan. They uh, they took the samples of they got permission, they got some samples of the flesh in this company. They create this is like one of these beyond meat type companies. Right. So they created with in a in a lab. Oh, we're talking yeah. They Created woolly mammoth meat, and so, they, so obviously the reporter who was who had an article on it says, "So have you tasted it?" And they says, "No, nobody's gone that far because the the protein, the type of protein it is, is very long, a very large protein. They don't know what it would do to the human body, so they're they're not. Send re- me a burger, <laughs> come on! It's they, only one way to find they, out. They did make some meatballs." <laughs> See, they created in a in a lab environment. They created some woolly mammoth meat, and they duplicated the original. La so. la 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 Spaghetti and meatballs over here. Hello, that's a big meatball. <laughs> that's a big furry meatball. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so they, but they said nobody's eaten it yet because they they don't know if it's safety because it's a very different protein uh, than than what we're used. To.
0: As far as I'm concerned, if it has claws and Big teeth yeah. And yeah, just refreeze that.
1: <laughs> Sean well, Rowley. <Raleigh>, well, <laughs> mammoth farmer. They have... And this is another one of those things. It's like, I've seen this in a movie. I'm pretty sure he shouldn't do that. So they've found viable live bacteria and virus that oh, are like about that, yeah. 40 to 45,000 years old. Siberia, so, right? Yes. Yeah. And so they're finding these... Viable viruses, forty five thousand year old viruses, and they said in a lab environment they were able to make it viable and live again. It's like, don't do that. Did we not just go through a couple of years of yeah. that? Like sometimes Have you learned nothing. Like you wonder, like scientists, when they do this stuff, like, sure they're very smart people, but for smart people they're awfully dumb. Just because you can doesn't, doesn't mean, you mean you should. should. It's like, oh, what are we However, doing here? However,
0: <laughs> Sean Rowley, Woolly Mammoth Farmer, it's got a nice ring to it. it reminds me of the
1: Flintstones, right? They always ate Brontosaurus steak and oh, Brontosaurus yeah. burgers, and <laughs> yeah.
0: Could you imagine? Yeah, come on out to the farm. I got something to show you. <laughs> our herd of Woolly Mammoths, as far as the eye can yeah, see.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. It's just a little disturbing. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't know if it would. It's kind of scary. Why? Well, humanity clearly is not responsible enough to start experimenting with these things. All right, let's see what this virus does. Not the
0: viruses. I just want a woolly mammoth. (laughs) And if you could get like a platypus the size of a big dog, I'd take one of those (laughs) too. They're poisonous. Just the claws. You know, you'd have to cut that out. And a penguin.
1: And an ostrich. I yeah. want a dodo bird. Yeah. Oh, geez.
0: We could do a show on animals we wish wow. we could bring back. Anyway, so yeah, when it comes out, check out the Royal Ontario Museum and uh, check out the uh, Lifers uh, exhibition. Well, we got sidetracked there, didn't we? Oh, man. We went so far in the left field, I had to catch an Uber back. Uh, poker runs. You've ah, seen those poker yes. runs? You've seen the poker runs with the big bo- uh, big boats? The cigarette boats, Motorcycles,
1: right? cars, If people with sports cars, people with motorcycles. Everybody does these poker runs. It's mm-hmm. fun, fun, fun. Apparently. I've never done it. Never, ever done it. Uh, we were fishing down on Lake Ontario in uh, Bay of Quinty one uh,
0: year, and also we hear these big roaring <laughs> boats coming. <laughs> it was you know, all those big cigarette boats. Yeah. They're just coming ripping into the harbor. They pull, mosey on up to a dock. Somebody walks up to them, hands them something, and mm, they're gone again. Um, they have a start point. And they race from spot to spot because there's a whole bunch of different spots on the map that you got to go to. Yeah. And at each spot, you get a card, like a playing card. Okay. And then at the finish line, the person with the best hand wins. So basically, by the sounds of it, if you are first, basically you're going to get the ace every time you go. Yeah. So you'll get five aces. Can you beat five aces? (laughs)
1: <laughs> no. so Unless you get six aces. <laughs> Unless you get well,
0: I got to think it's only five. Yeah. Every, every- or if it's more than five, then you take, like, if you get eight or nine cards, you take the best five to make your hand, I guess. Yes. Right? Royal flush. Yeah. Saturday, June 17th, from nine in the morning till noon, Onset Bay will become the world's largest and wettest poker table. During the Onset Bay Association's annual kayak poker run. That's Onset, uh, Massachusetts. Card sharks will meet at Shell Point Beach off South Boulevard and kayak around Onset Bay, building their poker hands by picking up cards at various stops along the way. They will then return to shore and have the chance to exchange cards with each other for two bucks per card. The best hand of the day wins, but prizes are given out in several categories. Uh, since the game will conclude with a pizza party on the beach, everyone's a winner. Registrations twenty five bucks. That's pretty cool. That sounds pretty cool. Right? Yeah, just get out, paddle, and okay, head on over this way and get a card. Head over that way, and get a card. I wonder if they actually, if if maybe they just lay all the cards down upside down or something, and you just pick one at random. They're not in any order. It's just like dealing a card out, right, face down.
1: Yeah, so... You it, shuffle the it, deck it, and then... I've heard, like, there's some people at work that I said, hey, how is that done? Because I... They've done these motorcycle uh, poker runs, and the, and so everybody has different rules. It's like you are given a random card, or first person gets – you can leaf through the pile and take the best card, and the second person gets the second best card. You can have the pick of the crop. So everybody has different rules. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do it, but it sounds like they're just going to get – you got a random card, and you can trade later for different cards. From, that's what – that yeah, yeah, with that two bucks, that's what I sort Does of figured. Does it say uh, what charity is –
0: uh, the onset, um, onset Bay Association. Yeah, they uh, the the uh, so, the so it's, it's self serving. Yeah, so yeah. it's yeah. for themselves. Yeah. Uh, if you want more information, go to onsetbay.org/backslash kayak, and uh, you can get registration info there and where to sign up, where to pay, and could be very neat. That it sounds like a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Right, especially. All day paddling, and then a, yeah. a pizza party at the end of the uh-huh. day. That works. Too cool. Yeah. A northeastern professor is using aquatic drones to measure how quickly icebergs are melting. It's a drone. It's a kayak. It's a jet yak. <laughs> so yeah, the thing looks like the thing looks like a kayak, but it's filled with all this electrical gear. Floating in the frigid waters of Greenland, uh, Hanuman Singh's aquatic autonomous vehicle is, by all appearances, a regular gas-powered kayak waiting for someone to hop inside. But the sensor-strap drone is much more than that. The jet yak has become a frontline worker in scientific efforts to better understand the effects of climate change and the toll it's taking on the planet's oceans. With icebergs increasingly breaking off Greenland's ice caps due to climate change, the region has increasingly become an area of focus for climate scientists. But until recently, it is hard to measure how quickly these massive chunks of ice are melting and impacting the oceans. So if you see something that's happening, you zip over there and hopefully you can land a helicopter or something and go do your measurements. And, um, But uh, this is where Singh's uh, little electrical... Jobby comes in hand here. He's an electrical computer gener- uh, engineering professor at Northeastern University. His jet, yak, um, and his jet yak came in strapped with sensors. It has been creating detailed 3D maps of icebergs in Greenland's Cermic Fjord with the intent of giving climate scientists a clearer picture. So you can see how things are changing over the course of months or years, but we are really interested in saying, what are the phenomenon on the ground? Mm-hmm. And understanding those phenomena is vitally important for client scientists. Warmer oceanic water has been creeping into the Greenland fjords up towards the glaciers and causing the melt uh, from beneath. So the melt... Melting freshwater entering the ocean will have dramatic effects on the way water circulates around the world, impacting ecosystems world over. Uh, we we, We are imaging people, and climate scientists are using our robot for doing conductivity, temperature, and depth tests. We are trying to see how this oceanic seawater is approaching and how the cold water, which is meltwater off the iceberg, is interacting with the waters around it. The boat serves as the foundation for the kayak is 11 feet long, weighs 165 pounds. <laughs> this one blew me away. But carries a hard hardware payload of 360 pounds. That's
1: crazy. That's like Almost That's, two of me. It's not a very big uh, kayak. 11-foot-long kayak. And it's got 360-pound payload, plus its own weight of 165. Mm-hmm. It can move up to 20
0: miles per hour and run for 8 to 10 hours on three gallons of gas. That's pretty impressive. That is. Hmm. Uh, three gallons. What's that, like 12 liters?
1: Yeah. 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 Four four liters per gallon. Yeah. Something like that. 4.7. Uh oh in 2013
0: oh Singh used an early prototype to measure freshwater flow near Greenland's glaciers. During that trip he saw another group of scientists who were using a helicopter to land on icebergs, installed GPS moorings to measure the changing height of icebergs as they melt, watching the danger they were putting themselves in, he thought there has to be a better, safer way to capture this data. So basically he said, well, if I do a drone Mm. I just send it out there. It's and autonomous. It's autonomous, and they had to make sure it was cheap enough to be replaced. Yeah. Because if it's out there, and it's run over by a you tanker, know, or, or no, well they're they're saying even relatively small chunks of ice um, can be six miles across and three hundred feet tall. Any piece that falls off poses <laughs> a massive risk to anyone working on or near the iceberg, yeah. and that's why the jet
1: uh, jet yak is relatively. Yeah. Inexpensive, and replaceable. It's a pretty violent thing. You ever, you ever see videos of a oh, iceberg the rolling, the calving or yeah. calving, but the, the rolling. So when it becomes uh, top heavy or whatever, the the iceberg will actually physically roll, roll over. over to a new center of gravity, and it's violent. And if you like, want that, that jet yak to be... <laughs> Suddenly it's stranded on top of the ice or it gets crushed or...
0: Well, and that's it. If you were a couple of people on there yeah. with your helicopter and yeah. it decides to roll... Oops. Big oops. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're losing the helicopter. Yeah. And you know, you're probably, you're, Yeah, you're probably going to be in your, your dry suits and stuff like that to hopefully but still, get out of the way. Like you could get
1: crushed by the yeah. ice or...
0: Um, but yeah, if you lose, you know, $1,000 kayak or whatever... Yeah. Eh, you know, whatever, it's replaceable. Or an $80,000 helicopter, plus right? a life or two. Right. Uh, originally, the idea was, let's go and see if we can map these, and let's do it with a robot. So if an ice strength falls off the robot, nobody gets hurt, and we still get the data, because everything would, you know, they'd be able to get that. Uh, another technical challenge this team faced when trying to design the vehicle, such as understanding how quickly these massive chunks of ice are melting means taking images and readings over an extended period of time not easy when you're trying to map massive objects like icebergs that can move upwards of six miles in a day
1: that's amazing eh? just it's just floating on the currents there's going to be some wind loading on it to move it a little bit more and it's like six miles Mm -hmm. that's incredible that an iceberg just moves that far that fast
0: yeah uh, Singh and his team had to create their own algorithm to allow the jet yak to move around the iceberg, capture data, and account for its movement. It must have a LiDAR or
1: something system, radar LiDAR.
0: Yeah, I would guess. Yeah. Some sort of GPS so it's system. So it
1: has avoidance systems. It's
0: like It sounds like it's a giant Roomba. Yes. Right? There you go. <laughs> it's a Roomba. <laughs> just keeps bouncing yeah. off the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that we have to do is make sure we make a good map, uh, to make a good map is to estimate the velocity and rotation of the iceberg. That's also a measurement we can, uh, we can compare against our GPS. Maps produced by Jet Yak provide an unprecedented level of detail and accuracy with all the data collected by Singh's aquatic drone. He says they are now able to look at before and after images of the iceberg as it has melted. The full results will be published in a paper later this year. You can see all these channels, which is where most of the mass loss is happening. And you can actually see the qualitative effects of the phenomena, just as uh, that they think about that are responsible for iceberg melt. Icebergs don't just melt like an ice cube in water. What? <laughs> ah, it's boohooey. Phenomena. Um. Sing is hopeful that Jet Yak can also be a vital part of other research efforts as well. Already being used to perform chemical sensing and measuring sediment transport. Sing even used a Jet Yak to map and measure the impact of Hurricane Sandy on Fire Island off the coast of New York. We want to work on problems that have significant social relevance. While we're doing that, we're also trying to solve hard engineering
1: problems that come with it. That's a pretty cool, cool thing to do with a kayak so are they measuring salinity or are they just mapping they're
0: right now they says they're just mapping and measuring the icebergs themselves melting
1: sizes but are they doing salinity they because don't that say. would be a good thing to measure but because you could tell how much fresh water is mixing with the seawater well it says it they're measuring how
0: it's interacting like the but they're just talking about the coldness and stuff, how the cold water's mixing with the regular water.
1: I wonder if they're mapping or measuring salinity, because that would be a key thing to know. Anyway. I don't know. They did not say. Mm -hmm.
0: They did not tell me that. I was not privy to that information. (laughs) They only told me so many things, you know. Mm -hmm. You only had so much time to talk. (laughs) Um... I only got one more thing here. But it's a big one. We talked about this earlier, about the
1: record snowfalls they were having. Oh, yeah, out, yeah, Out yeah. uh, west and that. I've been watching so many videos on that lately. It's right? Just, it is absolutely crazy. As
0: the record Sierra snowpack begins to melt, it is sending immense volumes of water cascading through some of the most storied and beautiful rafting rivers in the world. The Kern in the Southern Sierra, the Tulum, which flows out of Yosemite or Yosemite National Park. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it as Yosemite for so many years. Yosemite National Park and the American flowing out of the mountains near Lake Tahoe. And you're hearing this, the same story in different states yep. right now. The big melt could wreak havoc on the towns and farms that line the rivers and irrigation channels interlace in the Central Valley. But for whitewater rafting guides, whose small, often family-owned businesses have struggled to stay afloat through years of punishing drought, the deluge is a godsend. We're going to have excellent flows for a really long season, says Evan Moore, who started kayaking when he was four years old. He now manages Sierra South Mountain Sports in Kernville a rafting company his dad started in 1985. Each year, the moors hope to stay open from early April through Labor Day, but California's prolonged drought has made that all but impossible. Last year, they had to close the season mid-August. 2021, they shut down July 10th. A year before that, the pandemic shut them down for much of the season. So that's, I mean, if that's your livelihood, you've been... I know, right? Pretty much getting smacked in the you-know-whats for the last few <laughs> yeah. years. This year they're hoping to stay open through Halloween. So they're hiring guides, drivers, and clerks, all told the staff could number around 100. Wow! Probably a run out of people wanting to go rafting before we run out of water. Whitewater guys across Sierra are saying much the same, but the sudden bounty of water creates new obstacles, some logistical, others more perilous. It's exciting and problematic, says Tom McDon- uh, McDonnell, Owner and lead guide of Sierra Mac River Trips in Groveland, a gold rush town on the Highway 120 route to Yosemite. Start of their season is delayed because the steady flow of atmospheric rivers this winter washed out the road leading to their normal launch sites. That's an issue. Adam Ferguson, who manages Zephyr Whitewater Expeditions in Columbia in the Tulum County foothills, faced the same problem. It's pretty frustrating to have this amazing river flowing and just not being able to use it. However, once access is restored, the next hurdle will be to navigate the sheer volume of water flowing and preparing for torrents yet to come. Now, you get these guys, they they know, okay, this year we're going to as guy year after year after year, it's got to become pretty much, you know, cookie cutter almost, where you're we're putting in here We're going through these rapids. Okay, we got to take this line through the rapids. Then we're going down here. We're going to the next rapids. You take this line. The next rapids, you take this line. So you get to know where everything is. Well, this year, with so much water coming down, the rivers are higher, faster, and wider.
1: So those routes that you're used to taking are not there. Well, you think of your normal center line and your normal hazards that are traditionally mapped out any number of whitewater rivers have any number of guidebooks and they say you know there's a there's a you know there's a tree here there's a giant rock there this you can eddy out there and and so everything's different you're talking like the normal let's say it's a 50 foot wide river and now it's a 150 foot wide river and Mm -hmm. you're going to be potentially being pushed through trees on the shoreline or hidden trees underwater that you could get caught in it's there's there's so many unrecognized areas. The water's going to be murky, muddy. So you're not even going to see what's underwater. So y- you're going to have to recognize any hazards from whatever turbulence are created by as it passes over. It is like I can't even imagine uh, the changes in the river. Like it's it's a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: this year with conditions so outsized and unfamiliar, guides may have to rethink those ratings, being class 4, class 5 rapids. Yeah, yeah. Reassess what is safe enough means high water not only makes rivers flow faster it also changes the dynamics of previously well-known rapids that increases the odds of things going wrong and raises the stakes when they do some cases the rocks that create rapids might be so submerged that the water flowing over them is undisturbed making them flat and dull more likely says mcdonald the water will be moving with such force that even when some rocks are submerged, the surface will be affected in unpredictable ways.
1: Yeah, you have no idea. You don't until you get there. <clears throat> Give me a lot of well, and see also the thing like normal normal systems is you'd you'd pull out, you eddy out, you'd walk the shoreline, check out the next set of rapids, but now with no shoreline and the water is yeah. flowing into the trees you're not going to be able to see the hazards like it's it's going to be very difficult to to survey what's ahead and and you know see the best method of getting down a, a set of rapids if there even are rapids if it's not all completely washed out mm mm-hmm.
0: One boat in a group might enjoy big, smooth roller coaster waves, McDonald, McDonald says, and the next might get a 12 foot Hawaii 5.0 style wave breaking <laughs> right on top of it. Woo-hoo! Not many people that know how to deal with that. Even guys who do know how to deal with it will have to recover quickly because the next rapid will be approaching faster than usual. If we don't think there's any chance to recover before the next rapid, then we have to consider it class six, just unrunnable. Hmm. That means rafting companies will have to screen guides with extra care this year. Guys will have to do the same with clients before taking them to the most adventurous spots. Uh, Ferguson says one technique is to take clients through one rapid and let them get a big wave kind of blasting in the face and then go to a calm eddy for a swim test. You don't have to be an Olympic swimmer or anything, Ferguson said, but you have to perform a few competent strokes and prove you can listen to directions. Every once in a while, you get someone who jumps in and they just fully deer in the headlights. <laughs> Nothing you say is getting through. When that happens, this probably
1: isn't a trip for you. Well, when panic takes over. Yeah. What are you going to yeah. do, right? Yeah. and uh, you, you know, if, if the way people react to certain situations is is unpredictable, you, you know, somebody who might be, you know, a solid outdoors person suddenly in a in an unknown situation, maybe they they lock up, their brain just shuts down. Yeah,
0: I mean, and if you're used to running, you know, class three, fours, now all of a sudden you're
1: it's something new and outside of the normal. On maybe six,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, you're like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, what am I doing here? <laughs> Entering his exam will be tougher for, uh, to raft Cherry Creek, an innocently named section of the upper Tulum River that's considered one of the most challenging commercially run ra- uh, rafting trips in the United States. McDonald, whose father pioneered trips on Cherry Creek in the 70s, said he typically starts taking clients there April or May. This year, he said water levels be so high, he probably won't start running until August. That's huge.
1: <laughs> like if that much water is going to be going to down
0: for, you know, those extra months. Even then, he'll ask potential clients to demonstrate they can run 30 meters uphill on a single breath. What? Yeah. They can run 30 meters uphill on a single breath. He'll then put them through drills showing they can quickly follow orders to paddle forward, backward, and stop and they'll have to prove they're agile enough to dive to the bottom of the raft at a moment's notice, bounce back up with their paddle being positioned on the boat's edge just as fast. Finally, he'll ask them to swim across the river, buffeted by strong currents, twice. Hmm. If they can't do it, they're on the van out of here, McDonald says. Sorry, you don't pass the test. Well, when they're, you know, they're known to be one of the... Biggies, yeah, you, you got to make sure. Yeah, you want right? to make
1: sure that because anybody who becomes a liability to themselves also becomes a liability of anybody who tries to rescue them. And
0: if you know there's somebody that may not be fully par, mm-hmm. you're going to be constant. The guy's going to be concentrating on that person, yeah, and may miss something that happens yeah. with somebody else. Exactly. So it's, you know, what? as much as you don't want to turn them away, you're risking other lives. It comes down to a safety item. Mm-hmm. Rafting is generally safe. It can be leisurely if you stick to lower rated rapids, but even with professional guys, the risk is real when the water starts flowing fast. Since 1972, there have been at least 216 fatal rafting accidents involving commercial companies in the U.S., according to a database maintained by American Whitewater, a nonprofit devoted to protecting access to rivers, Of those, 21 were in California, four were on the Kern. Hmm. Safety's definitely got to be at the top of the list this year. Uh, Evan Moore recently took four boats filled with other guides on an early season training run through the cables on Upper Kern. I believe... I think there was some big uh, wipeouts on, on the cables last year or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, unlike the lower Kern, which is raftable even in drought years, thanks to the release from the dam at the uh, Lake Isabella, the upper Kern is free-flowing and wild. Because it flows, relies on a heavy snowpack, Moore's company hasn't been able to run trips on the upper Kern since 2019. So four years later, they're going to be able to do it. This is going to be an adventure for everyone, the water and air temperatures were in the 40s when they did this little thing, and the river had changed a lot. In March, during one of the many storms, it overwhelmed its banks and nearly washed Kernville off the map. Water usually flows through town at about 2,000 cubic feet per second in the spring. During the flood, it reached
1: 45,000. So spring floodwaters, typical floodwaters would be Two thousand. This is not like yep. late summer cubic feet per second nope. flow. This is like early spring flow is two thousand, and this one was forty-five thousand. That's beating that's a fifty-year-old record. That's crazy. Piling downstream, experienced eyes spotted
0: new features everywhere. Immense tangles of uprooted trees lined the banks. Yeah, see, there's the problem, right? And that, yeah, that is a huge problem. Just beyond the banks, the hillsides, which had been dingy brown during the drought, were green and lush. Superbloom was just beginning to uh, suffuse wide swaths of slopes in purple and orange. Towering peaks of the southern Sierra, Sierra were covered in white, the deepest snowpack ever recorded there, and nearly three times what's normal for this time of year. Easy to believe, spring-like rafting conditions could last until fall. It's going to be one of the best rafting years we've ever seen. Moore says. So yeah, getting the guys to know the new runs like by heart. I mean, they're going to have to take massive number of trips down just to get to know that new. uh, Hmm. And you know, as the end of the season comes closer, if the water starts to to come, water levels start to slow down and come down, those routes are going to change all year. So if you do one of those routes in the spring, and then you come back, like he says, he's hoping till Halloween. You come back and say late September.
1: Yes, a normal spring get, run. You may have two
0: totally different oh, yeah. runs, right? Exactly. So yeah, the the making sure the guides know ins and outs of the new levels and speeds and all that, and safety. They are going to be the major major issues this year when it comes to the yeah, rafting. It's going to be crazy, and like I say, this is just in the Sierra Range. They're talking um, through Oregon and Utah and all that sort of. You know, everybody that's doing the, the rafting this year, everything's changing, and it's it's going to be, you know, I mean, uh, good for them that they're hopefully going to yeah. be able to 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 make a, a their businesses successful this year, mm-hmm. get some money because it's been pretty bad the last few. But like I say, as long as it's done, and ho- I know we talked about this earlier that, you know, we fully expect this summer to be hearing, yeah, there was tragedy, and but I, I really hope not. You know, I hope there's no, I hope everything just goes absolutely peachy in, mm-hmm. the, in the rafting this year.
1: So. Yeah, I know. Like, it, it, I, I I would hope it doesn't happen, but it, I think we can, there's going to be an expectation that there may be uh, maybe some adverse conditions that come up and... Unfortunately we'll be reporting on incidents. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not. Mm-hmm. Uh that's all I got. That is it. I just want to say uh to our American sisters and brothers, happy uh National Parks Week. Right? Yeah. And we still gotta wait for ours till June? I know. What's that all about?
0: <laughs> What's that all about?
1: Did you know John Van Berger got a new dog? I did not know that. I saw a picture, posted oh, yeah? a picture, yeah. Oh. Siobhan told me about that. She said she saw something about a dog. Yeah. I'm he not, didn't say a beep. I'm not on Facebook much, so I don't see a lot of these things.
0: Yeah.
1: No, I got people sending me stuff all
0: the time, mm-hmm. so I got to sort of monitor in there. So often I see yeah. something pop up and oh, hello. <laughs> 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 uh, nothing else? Nothing else. All righty. I'm hoping. What's the weather supposed to be like this weekend?
1: I don't know. I tend not to look at the weather lately.
0: Oh, I might see if I can get out for a paddle at least.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Get diggity dog on the water. Yes. Because, oh, she's been ticking me off lately. <laughs> Those ears is big enough to catch the signal from a satellite, but yeah. not from a voice five feet away telling her <laughs> not to do something. <laughs> no. Mind you, she is, you know, still a puppy. She's nine months old almost now
1: oh yeah she wasn't as vocal when I came in today she uh, she only barked at me about a dozen or so times and uh, eventually she, she came up to me pretty quick this time but she barks and, and wiggles her whole body eventually yeah. eventually
0: yeah you know, she gives a few barks to let you know she, you know hey 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 what are hey. you doing in this house yeah, but uh, then she comes running up all mm-hmm. wiggly and barking yeah, at the same yeah. time she doesn't realize you okay turn the barking off <laughs> you're either guarding or you're playing not yes not both, both. yeah She'll figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All righty. Uh, If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Just go to Google, type Paddling Adventures Radio, and there's a billion places that come up to say download and listen to it here. Or you can just go to PaddlingVenturesRadio.com, uh, check out our episode page, and you can download or stream all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.